World Cup moves on without the U.S. men's national team involved. The MLS offseason continues at a strong pace with some key dates coming up and a lot more. Welcome into Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling, who's done it on radio. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where I've done it on internet. It is uh, it is fun. It's a fun off season, of course, because of the World Cup. We put the country in club and country. If you haven't heard our reflections with the Men and Blazers' Roger Bennett on the U.S. Men's National Team's World Cup performance, we recommend going back it, after this episode, of course, and checking that out. We may refer to it a few times in the course of today's discussion. Love Raj. Always appreciate his insight, his passion, and nothing that we said then is particularly going to be outdated now. It's it's a larger, big-picture perspective, so um, hope that you'll go back and listen to that as well. Uh, but Tim, now there are four teams left in the World Cup, Argentina and Croatia, it's gonna are gonna square off for the chance to play the winner of France and Morocco. Just ha- as everybody had those semifinals. Yeah, yeah, it should be exciting. I'm always rooting for the underdogs, although I'm also a huge Messi guy. I love a diminutive lefty, of course. So um, I would love to see Messi win his his first World Cup, but I would also love to see a uh, uh, Croatia Morocco final. If we're being honest here. <laughs> It's going to be a fun discussion, but uh, we have to begin on a, on a somber note. Um, and of course, this is the news that you're going to be hearing discussed on podcasts everywhere. You've read about it, undoubtedly read tribute after tribute, as we have. Uh, the preeminent soccer journalist in the United States, Grant Wall, died covering the Argentina-Netherlands game on Friday. A giant in the industry, um, a, an individual who drew so many casual fans into being passionate fans of this game and rewarded passionate fans with in-depth writing all around the globe. It is a shock. It is a tragedy for our industry, for our, uh, for the soccer world, for, mm-hmm. for so many different realms, Tim. And I thought we'd begin with just a bit of discussion of his legacy as, as you yeah. see it, as I see it, and, uh, and what he will continue to mean moving forward to the soccer world. Yeah, um, obviously, it's a huge loss for the soccer world, for the journalism world, and, and for the soccer journalism world, especially. Grant is a guy whose whose path kind of reminds me of my own. Honestly, he was a guy who didn't play a ton of soccer growing up. You know, he's may even have been old enough that he didn't play at all growing up. Whereas, you know, people like you and I played until we were eight. And then we focused on more American centric sports, <laughs> for example. But yeah. he was a guy who in in college as a college journalist um, happened to, to, you know, be writing for the Princeton student newspaper and covered some uh, reasonably talented Princeton teams. Uh, You might've heard of the coach, Bob Bradley, (laughs) who is coaching them. Um, So this is, this is a guy who kind of happened into soccer and then there's no, there's no way to put it other than he made soccer journalism, what it is essentially. And Mm -hmm. um, no, nobody covered the game the way that he did. And, um, he lost his job at Sports Illustrated and then decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to double down on covering soccer. And um, those are the sorts of things that Grant, you always knew where you stood uh, with Grant in a lot of ways. He was a guy who would uh, would, you know, kind of go in the back and forth a little bit. And even if he was right, he would kind of apologize at the end of the, of the conversation a little bit. And he's a guy who. Um, you know, there was ego there. People, people who have who have been giving their their kind of eulogies for for Grant have have maybe softballed around it. I'm not going to lie; they've softballed around it a little bit. But I don't think he was ever coming from a malicious place. And mm-hmm. you know, there's there is absolutely no way that the soccer world is better uh, today than it was when Grant Wall was alive a week ago at this time. 
and as somebody who who never interacted with him but feels like i have so like so many of you listeners right like you feel like you know the guy it, it it's i thought about kind of summing up the different attributes that he showed enjoy for the game generosity to those who are coming along even as he's maybe battling and sparring with people he 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 you know tried to bring people along with him and help them advance their careers where he could uh, relentless coverage of tough issues, uh, such as, of course, the human rights issues in Qatar. Talk about all those things, but I think to sum it all up, to me, what I see from Grant, and, and I say see, I, I don't use the past tense here because this legacy is going to move forward, is a sense of responsibility to the game and to others, a sense of responsibility to causes that he felt were just and that we would tend to agree were were just, certainly in the case of his coverage of, of Qatar and many other things. And I think that's that's what I hope that that others in this in this world, the journalism world, the soccer world, can can learn from and and really appreciate as part of his legacy is that sense of responsibility to the game. That where he was maybe sparring with other people, where he was writing award winning pieces, where he was making calls to editors on behalf of his fellow fired SI colleagues, it was a sense of responsibility to something bigger than himself, bigger than any ego. And uh, that is something that I think I will take forward as we cover something on a on a much smaller scale, uh, and yet can can emulate some of those same some some things. I wonder first any thoughts on that, and second any pieces that you want to point people to. His legacy is going to live on through his years, his decades of work. Is there anything you want to point our listeners to that encapsulates how he did the job he did? Yeah, first to first to kind of react to what you said there. The one thing that will that will I think always define Grant to a lot of people is if he didn't know you very well, but he respected something that you had done, he was always working hard to to help people with his platform. Um, you know, sometimes uh, there was not necessarily some humility about how big his platform actually was. <laughs> I think is the one thing that that uh, you know I kind of alluded to previously. But he was willing to use that platform to help out people who he thought were going to do a good job in the journalism world. In terms of the pieces, uh, you know, you and I have have recommended the Freddie Adu yeah. uh, podcast series in the past, and and I will recommend it again here. I actually have not begun to watch, but I'm super interested in the Amazon Prime series that he has uh, regarding the good rivals, U.S. Mexico rivalry. I'm looking forward to watching it, and, and honestly, going to watch it maybe with, through a slightly different lens than I had been initially planning to. Mm-hmm. I agree. American Prodigy was the piece I was going to bring up again today because mm-hmm. Grant. Uh, at the time, I almost thought he kind of overdid it in asking the personal question of, did I give Freddie too much credit too early in his career? But but as I revisit, again, his legacy here, and as I thought about it, even just in the immediate wake of listening to that podcast, you know, I think that question, again, points to that sense of personal responsibility for treating mm-hmm. individuals and treating the game as as they should be treated and with the weight they deserve. Absolutely recommend it. A little more than a cameo, I would say, from uh, from our own, our buddy Jamie Watson in that as well, talking about days back at, at IMG Academy. Uh, and then... Uh, and RSL. That's true. Yes, and RSL as well. That's right. A couple areas of overlap there. And then I think you know the recent work that I think maybe is low-hanging fruit, but is important, is the work that he has done um, on human rights abuses in Qatar. In particular, his trip several years ago now, actually, to the country to go to each of the hotels um, the major hotels and talk to migrant workers there. Um, unsanctioned trip, obviously, because he didn't want the minders all over him or his schedule packed. And it was good journalism, uh, hard journalism. And he's candid about the fact that the first few days there, he didn't really get much. And he was worried. He's about to get on a flight home and didn't have what he needed. And then he got it. 
it's, it was, it's a, it's good for journalists like us to kind of look at his process, but also at his passion and, and more importantly, the story he, uh, he is telling. So uh, our, our best, of course, to former colleagues of Grant and, and to family members of Grant in this terribly tragic time. And uh, certainly his legacy, Tim, is going to live in the work of so many who admired him. Yeah, I'm going to give one more content recommendation that he was, uh, the, I guess, technically the producer of. He wasn't even involved in it, though. It was um, his occasional podcast partner, Landon Donovan. You you guys may have heard of him. Um, grilling Grant's wife, um, Dr. Celine Gounder, who became a prominent voice during the pandemic. It's just Landon asking questions that, like, you know, Joe American might have about, you know, COVID-related questions, um, things like that. And it was it was... Um, from Landon's perspective, I think people know that I have a much higher opinion of Landon than maybe the average person from a, from an off-field perspective has of Landon. I think he's, you know, a thoughtful person, and that was one of the reasons Grant chose him to do that. But, um, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned you know best wishes to to uh, Grant's family, and and his wife is, is you know is still a prominent media personality in a lot yeah. of ways through her medical work. I, I was reading the New York times newsletter uh, this very morning and I was like, Oh yes. Dr. Celine Gounder says about RSV. And I'm like, man, dude, her husband just died this week. What are you doing? But you know, presumably the quotes were, were uh, acquired before that, but I, it just hits that, you know, this dude is, this dude is gone and it sucks, but it sucks a lot more for his brother. It sucks a lot more for his yeah. wife. It sucks a lot more for everyone around him. So um, you know, wishing the best for them and, and hoping that they uh, can find strength in this time. And it's hard typically to tra- transition between discussing a, a, an awful, awful tragedy and talking about Nashville SC and the U.S. Men's National Team. I actually think it maybe is a little easier in this case, only because we're talking right now about the joy with which Grant Wall covered this game. And so what we'll attempt to do and what we always want to attempt to do is to replicate that same type of joy in talking about the game ourselves. And so we are, we are, you know, saddened and shaken by his loss, but we will, uh, we'll, we'll borrow from the joy that he had and, uh, and approach today's discussion and every discussion with that same type of, of fresh passion uh, for, for this game. And uh, certainly for, uh, for covering Nashville SC, as well, uh, and there is a lot to cover today. Uh, the U.S. U.S. women are going to come to Nashville. We talk about you know a platform that Grant embraced and, and women's soccer and its equality with the men's game was certainly one of those. The U.S. women are going to come and play here in the She Believes Cup. More on that. Uh, what MLS milestones are still coming this off season? We will get into the World Cup here and look again from an MLS perspective about the talent that was uh, in Qatar. And we'll get to a couple of mailbag questions for you. But first, of course, ML Rose, Tim, personal story here. Had surgery a week ago today as we record this on Monday. Nothing major, all planned, planned for months out. But it kept me from getting out and getting a burger and watching World World Cup action for the last week or so. I'm fine, feeling good. Uh, but uh, man, I'm so ready to get back and have that first burger at ML Rose. As if I didn't already appreciate it. Once I can have the burger, <laughs> once I can get off the painkillers and, and have the beer as well quite pumped to uh, maybe catch the semis or a final there yeah and you probably you probably had to lay off of the uh of the foods like that for a couple of days before surgery as well so that's that's tough for you but yeah i obviously we're very thankful to ml rose for for making this whole thing possible they, it would not be without them and even more so for for providing the burgers for providing the uh the painkiller free uh, beers <laughs> uh when that when that's an option for you again wes um and you know everything that we've said you know about ML Rose over the course of this podcast continues to be the case. It is a a place. It is the place. 
if you want to watch some uh, of these, uh, you know, some of the action over these final four games of the World Cup, including the third place match. So uh, make sure you can check out uh, a game there. Check out four games there if you, if you have the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely do it. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's the place to go. I, I very much enjoyed my World Cup viewing experience at uh, ML Rose. All right, moving into the Gold Nuggets. First, let's talk about Major League Soccer at the World Cup. You guys know who's in the semis. We're not going to break down the the games necessarily or get too deep into that. Let's go in, into the domestic league and, and talk about those MLS players who were involved, of course, with the U.S. Men's National Team on the NSC side. We've already talked at length about Walker and Shaq Moore, and there's a mailbag question about Walker's performance that we'll get to in just a bit. Anybody else you want to highlight, though, Tim, on the U.S. Men's National Team, those who did get action, and, and really there wasn't a lot of action beyond those two players. Yeah, I think the the I, I guess brightest part there would be would be DeAndre Edlin, who uh, I'm not high on, have never been particularly high on in a while, but came in and, and did a shift a couple times. Uh, the downside one would be Jesus Ferreira, who yeah. it seemed like the team kind of adapted its tactical identity to fit a player like him, and then when he had his opportunity. It didn't go so hot. The, the reasons that you bring Jesus Ferreira in are so that you can kind of play through the striker who drops into midfield. And when he had that chance, it it did not go super well. He had some heavy touches and, uh, you know, it was, was kind of an issue. Obviously, the U.S., uh, you know, forced hand a little bit with the, the injuries that, you know, cropped up over the cor- course of the World Cup. But mm-hmm. um I think the future can still be bright for a dude who's 21, 22 years old and and has his first uh, World Cup action under his belt. It was disappointing for sure, but I was more disappointed for him than than for anybody else. And you definitely see the potential there. It's a great learning experience for him. For so many of these players, speaking of learning experiences, speaking of bright futures, Alistair freaking Johnson played every (laughs) minute of Canada's World Cup. And now he's going to Celtic, which means Nashville gets a nice check for around, I believe, 350K was the because the reported amount was 3.5 million. Nashville gets 10% of that. Reflect, if you will, on Alistair's World Cup, on this move to Celtic, on what's next for him. Yeah, I, th- I think it's great to see a guy who um you know, it's it's a it's a weird position to be in as as we talk about Nashville SC and and quite honestly, Nashville SC thought they were getting you know they were they were robbing the bank when they got the <laughs> trade that they got for Alistair Johnson. I think if you went back and and told them where his career was going to go, they might have a slightly different opinion about that now. But um, he's a dude who uh, he he was on our podcast a week and a half before he was traded. He's a dude who everybody likes from a personal perspective. Um, from a, from a soccer perspective, a, a football perspective, soon for him. Um, he's a, he's a guy whose whose trajectory has been firmly upwards, and I'm excited to see him at the next level. Participate with Cameron Carter Vickers, who who got on the field for the yeah. United States men's national team at Celtic. It should be an interesting uh, little comparison and an uh, easy team for unaffiliated Scottish league fans to, to pull for. I've always wanted to get into that league and never felt qualified to choose a side of the old firm. So maybe this pushes me that way. I mean, to see <laughs> him playing in that, in that massive rivalry and potentially in some, you know, Europa league or, or champions league action, or at least qualifiers going to be going to be really exciting to get to witness that uh, Canada, no surprise had more MLS players, uh, I believe than, than even the U S did and the most in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else you want to spotlight from the Canadian side of guys like, Kone had a good showing and is now mm-hmm. rumored to be transferred. Maybe already has been transferred yeah, from Montreal as well. Been, yeah. Come on. Miller looked good as well. Anybody else there? Yeah. Kone is the one that I think really impressed me. And obviously, <laughs> obviously um, this is all bad news for, for Montreal because they're going to be without <laughs> a ton of their talent and their manager. Um, 
yeah, they've, they've lost their, their head coach to Columbus crew, but yeah, Kone, Kone was outstanding. I think he was a guy who, if you had no knowledge of the Canadian men's national team before the world cup, and you just popped in and watched all 270 minutes they played, you say, wow, this guy is a star. He, what premier league team does he play for? You know, that sort of performance. And, um, you know, we'll see if we'll see if his European adventure, um, you know, gets, gets underway as, as has been rumored. I think it's, I think it's done. I'm not positive, but I am seeing reporting as of, uh, yes, per, per the Montreal website, and this was okay. a week ago. So, again, I'll blame my surgery for that. Wat- Watford <laughs> Watford is where he is headed effective uh, effective January 1st. And that was actually not to toot my own horn because I'm actually not tooting it very much. That was the one move that I, I said, you know, Kone's the one on Team Canada that's going to have a chance yeah. to play himself into a European contract. But that wasn't exactly a revelation. That was kind of like saying when it's really cloudy, it might rain outside. Um, so <laughs> good, good for him though, for sure. Uh, plenty of other other players involved in the group stage. Not a whole lot in the round of sixteen or beyond um, in the World Cup when it comes from an MLS perspective. Other teams, of course, that had players: Costa Rica, Mexico, um, Ecuador had had quite a bit. Did not make it out of the group stage. Uh, Uruguay, Cameroon, Australia, and uh, Thiago Almada, last one standing in the semis, um, just 13 minutes against Poland for Argentina. So you got a cameo there. Uh, any Anybody else you'd like to spotlight among those teams that you thought stood out, had a rough tournament, other? Yeah, I, I think uh, everybody's rooting for however Thiago Almada can get back on the field for, for yeah. Argentina over the last couple of games here. Uh, it's unlikely to happen. Obviously, he's a guy who was brought in late as depth, but, um, you know, when you get to the the semifinals of a World Cup and there's a Major League Soccer player on the roster, I don't even care if he doesn't play another second. That's impressive. And it, and it tells you not only that the league has gotten to a point where a guy can make it to the semifinals on the, on the roster of a country. This is the roster of a country you may have heard of from a soccer perspective, Argentina. <laughs> there's, a, there's an MLS player on the roster for Argentina. So that's really impressive. Really hope that again, that he's able to, to see the field again, even if I don't have a ton of, a ton of faith that that's going to happen. If you're playing in that third place game, which I know most people are projecting Argentina to advance to the final, but say Argentina plays in the third place game. How do you treat that as a manager? Are you putting guys like Almada in and treating him as a development yes. opportunity? It's not a messy send off, right? You're not going to like send him off in a third place game, right? Yeah. And no, I, th- I think you play him, uh, you start him, uh, you give him a testimonial match at some later <laughs> date. He probably, yeah, Listen, Messi's not going anywhere. I know, I know. There's a this this talk of his retirement. He's playing at Copa America in 2024. I'm gonna right. that's that's gonna be my bold prediction, right? And here, maybe it's in the U.S. Yeah, yeah there you go. Maybe it's uh, at his home stadium of Drive Pain. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the first Miami joke. I'm, I'm disappointed that you were the one to get to make it. Yeah. Oh man! And now that we joke about it again, it's actually going to happen for once. If you, if Miami again fielded a team of transfer rumored players, they'd win Champions League uh, three, <laughs> time, three years running. Um, other offseason milestones now as we move from World Cup back to uh, to Major League Soccer. Um, big news expected between the semifinals and the final of the World Cup, Tim. That's going to be the full 2023 schedule, along with the expected announcement. Again, not reporting here. You can. I'm not. That Nashville SC likely to move back to the Eastern Conference. Yeah, the, the it's uh I think that's pretty much set in stone. They they don't want to reveal anything without their uh, bells and whistles that they have planned for it, but I think that's pretty much set in stone at this stage. I'm excited to see the schedule. It's going to be an interesting one, much easier to travel in the Eastern Conference obviously for Nashville SC fans. Um I would imagine that there will be a road game at St. Louis City FC. Usually so. 
those usually those teams uh, expansion teams get a visit from the the you know <laughs> the clubs that are closest to them get a little bit of travel in and stuff in their inaugural year so that should be really exciting as well even if uh, they're in opposite conferences so uh, yeah something that that you know it's like uh have you ever seen the movie the jerk with steve martin where he says yeah. the phone books are yeah. here the phone, the books, new phone are here. books here exactly yeah so it, it's it's such a non-event that the schedule has been released but i'm always so excited for it oh i love it it's great and you know as somebody who's again been on the broadcast team the last few years it's I start looking at those off weekends too, uh, right away, <laughs> figuring out when when some trips are going to happen. Uh, the MLS Super Draft is coming up, and we'll go into more detail, I would imagine, next week on that, as it's Wednesday the 21st. But just a, a quick preview there, NSC picks 11th. It got that pick from Charlotte as a part of one of its many trades of its favorite player to trade, and that is international slot. You still get to <laughs> score a goal. Uh, in Major League Soccer, uh, five picks total for for the boys in gold over the three rounds. As again, it's a three round draft now, and not uh, not four as it used to be. And then the transfer window uh, opens on January thirty first. That's international transfers, so players coming from abroad. Obviously, teams can they can trade, they can do anything else domestically. They can even announce those international signings before they become official. And, and Tim, I, I guess any anything else to expect from the super draft transfer window? Anything you're hearing coming down the pipe? Yeah, I think from from that perspective, obviously, you know, Nashville SC's roster is not complete, so there will be more players added. I think the Super Draft, you have seen this club use to at least get one or two players each season. I think that's something that you will continue to see this year. Mm -hmm. I think almost as interesting is, obviously, this was never announced last year, so who knows if it will be officially announced. Where is Rodrigo Pinheiro going to play this year? There has been reporting that he's um, going to be playing for a club in Russia. I have scrolled the wrong way. PFC Krelia. That's hmm. my best guess as to how to, how, how to pronounce it. So that is the region that used to be in Finland. And then following the Winter War, uh, Russia actually took that territory. They annexed it. And so now it is in Russia. Karelian pies, very popular food item. So he'll be eating well over there if he if he indeed goes to Karelia. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see it's if it, Nashville SC ever announces anything if that does happen this year. Obviously, we don't expect him to ever play for Nashville SC again. You were not expecting to have uh, such great Northern European expertise uh, into your ears on this podcast, but here we are. Well, when you work for a Finnish company uh, and you have <laughs> whitewater rafted and played laser tag in that region with Russian colleagues well before this year, I might add. Uh, you get some random facts every now and then. The, I, I would hope you were playing laser tag well before this year. Uh, yeah. 1998. Uh, <laughs> That's the last time anybody played laser tag. Hey, in planet. Russia, it's still going strong, or at least it was. <laughs> and and I, it's it's poor taste to go into much more detail than that because obviously of, of the conflict that's going on. But at the time, it was it was quite a novelty that Americans and Russians were you know shooting each other and laughing. And now not a lot of laughing there. So I guess I'll I'll move on uh, from that. Um, and we'll go to a much brighter topic and a really exciting topic, and that is the U.S. Women's National Team coming to Nashville. It was announced a few days ago that the She Believes Cup is going to have a couple of matches in Nashville. February 19th, the U.S. playing Japan, Brazil, and Canada. Four really strong national programs there, and tickets are going to be available uh, to Nashville SC season ticket holders Thursday, a few other select groups before that, general public next Tuesday, the 20th. Tim, this is exactly the kind of occasion we hoped would come to Jodas Park in addition to great MLS soccer. We're starting to see now uh, some concerts trickle in, but this is going to be an awesome venue for women's soccer. Yeah, I think there's no there's no better 
entertainment product in soccer in this country than when the U.S. Women's National Team comes to town. And I, I Agreed. have, uh, I have not a career, but I've certainly made a business out of out of talking about another team that plays soccer. So that, that I do not say this lightly. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team uh, is awesome. They always have been, and and inshallah always will be. But um, to be able to see them in person is is going to be incredible. And the fact that they're Playing Japan, which is probably the weakest of the three invitees to the um, she believes cup this time around, is is yeah, it's it's less fun perhaps, but it's it also means you're potentially going to see you know more goals than you than you might if they're playing against the Canada team or a Brazil team that that uh, is is a little bit more competitive against them. And it, don't get me wrong, Japan is also an elite national team. They're just not the Brazil Canada level for the most part. So another random. Uh fact my sister sang the national anthem before the she believes cup game between the u.s and france at uh nissan stadium a few years ago again not relevant but random <laughs> interesting both national anthems she nailed the french one too by the way um but uh, i'm really really excited to see that, that. I Marseilles or however you say this uh you know what my french canadian wife's in the next room so i'm not going to try uh, <laughs> i will get corrected um i always tell her pardon my french and for some reason she doesn't find that funny um anyway uh, again, tickets on sale Thursday for NSC season ticket holders, general public Tuesday, the 20th. Can't wait to buy uh, a few myself and see a lot of you there. Of course, I'll go to ML Rose first uh, into the mailbag now. And uh, we've got a couple of, of really interesting questions. I think one of them, I just got this actually via text from a buddy. So putting Tim on the spot here um, as we talk about the confluence of NSC and the world cup, of course, with Shaq Warren Walker playing for the U S men's national team in Qatar. Will Reiners, good friend of the pod, asks, are there others in the NSC organization that you think could eventually come into the national team pool, other than when Nashville SC trades for Eric Williamson, brings him in, of course, <laughs> uh, knock on wood, or as you would say, inshallah. Anybody that you think could rise to that level? Um, I mean, the mind immediately goes to maybe a, a Jack Mayer as he develops. Mm-hmm. He's so yeah, very that's early I was in his say, career. Yeah. And projected, I mean, you know, Mike Jacobs has told us publicly and and on, on this show, like he reminds him skill-wise of a young walker. Fair, fair to say maybe he has a chance? Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was involved with the U.S. youth national teams uh, as a younger player. So uh, I don't think, you know, his career has had the trajectory. This is going to be a hot take. I don't think his career has had the trajectory of like a Christian Pulisic in the time since. But, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Walker Zimmerman, who's who's who was a U.S. youth national team player and then was kind of out of the picture for a while and then got mm-hmm. back into it as he developed into one of the best players in Major League Soccer, one of the best domestically based players out there. I think Jack has that potential easily. Uh, we'll see if that does end up coming to fruition. He's the most obvious one. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a Nashville SC roster that that is more on the older end of the spectrum at this point mm-hmm. you're going to have to see some fresh blood before it's likely that that you'll see guys who are future national team players you have you have guys who have had national team caps in the past but i don't think dax mccarty is getting called up this summer i don't think cj sapong is getting <laughs> called up this summer you're gonna have to see some younger players and kind of line the roster before you see uh you know guys who are future members of the national team set up Let's chat about Walker a little bit then and his performance. We have a question from John Cade. How did Zimmerman play statistically? Um, and I, I dug up a couple of numbers. I, I asked a couple of buddies for some questions, and they sent, he sends one that requires research, of course, right before we went on <laughs> air. So thanks, John, what but also, jerk. come on, John. Just kidding. Love you, buddy. Um, 
So, so just a couple of stats here, and then maybe we'll get into more of a qualitative discussion of Walker again. Uh, he led the U.S. in touches in both of his group stage starts. We covered that on previous shows. Was slightly less involved against the Netherlands, at least in terms of rank, like fourth most touches on the team. Um, but but he was still, I mean, he still had like 89 touches. Like that's massive for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's quite a bit for even for a center back. I mean, he was busy in distribution as well. Um, when you look at that Netherlands match, he sent in 13 long balls, actually more than Matt Turner. The U.S., I guess, will play a little more out of the back. And, and then when you get to the center backs, he was bombing some forward, especially chasing the game. You could expect that a bit. Uh, but he was the guy sending those passes in. Um, his aerial game is something we always want to look at. Um, he won eight of his 13 aerial duels. Of course, conceded the penalty against Wales that belied what was otherwise, I think, a fairly strong performance in that opening match. Um, anything else, either quantitatively or qualitatively, that you want to bring out there? Yeah, so there is something that incredible that you can only get at the World Cup, which are FIFA's post-match uh, statistical reports. And um, some of them are those those kind of standard stats, pass, pass completion rates and all things like that. Some of them are are from the physical tracker data. So Walker was actually one of the fastest U.S. players. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the the speed that he hit, the top speed that he hit uh, during the game. But uh, you know, I've uh, I've pushed back on the fact that because Walker is a, a tall white guy, people kind of assume that he's slow a lot of the time. <laughs> and he was like four miles an hour faster than Cameron Carter Vickers, who people said, "Oh, put in Cameron Carter Carter Vickers for speed. reasons he's going to be a faster <laughs> center back," but. Um, you know, the fact that that Walker, you know, showed eh, nobody's going to claim that Walker is the, the single quickest center back on the U.S. roster. But that top speed is something that I think is going to impress some people. And, you know, we've talked about if he has a huge World Cup, could he, you know, have that European dream? I don't I don't think he will. But certainly when you look at I think it was thirty three point four miles an hour top speed or uh, kilometers an hour. <laughs> yes, thirty three miles an hour. Walker Zimmerman ran thirty three kilometers an hour top speed. Uh, that's something that is at least going to have somebody picking up the phone and calling his agent. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by what could still happen with Walker this offseason. Um mm-hmm. Again, would love to see him back in gold, would love for him, more importantly, to get the career opportunity he wants to get, whether that's in Nashville or now or never. Maybe it's abroad. Uh, Really enjoyed watching him play on that stage. I think he acquitted himself well, uh, one Gareth Bale foul in the box, notwithstanding. Uh, Last question from John Mueller. Do you have opinions on GeoGate? I don't think we need to rehash every bit of of the geo saga here and what happened you guys can can read quote after quote geo just recently with an instagram post outlining his side of the story greg berhalter both you know quote unquote off the record uh going going at length and criticizing the player anonymously even though we knew he was talking about um articles coming out of the athletic reporting of, about some of the conflict around geo and his lack of effort um in in training and being called up by the team so i just rehashed the whole saga there anyway um, <laughs> i think my take on it tim is simply that the kids he's 20 years old mm-hmm. and this is a great learning experience for him um anybody would probably be pretty torn up by not by, by being told they're not going to have a pivotal role in the team if that indeed was what he was told by Greg yeah. Berhalter I have questions about the wisdom of telling a player that in, in advance of the World Cup r- rather than kind of letting the chips fall where they may uh and I have numerous questions about Berhalter's decision to you know go to a place where he said I thought this is all going to be off the record let's talk about this guy <laughs> when he knows he has to know yeah. of course these things are going to get reported so you know is he just out and he's trying to 
you know, just go ahead and say what he wants to say on his way out the door? Is he trying to send another message to Geo to make him even more accountable? I don't know. That's the part I have more of an issue with than Geo. Look, maybe not behaving very maturely, but yeah. he's so young and he has such a good future. And I hope this is a subplot and not a legacy piece for him. Yeah, I think um, there is no leak that happens without strategy. I think Greg Berhalter knew what he was doing um, when he said that. Uh, I don't know if if the the way it has snowballed was was what he anticipated, but here it is. Um, you know, you, if you say you know a player wasn't doing what we asked of him, and and he came around and and kind of, uh, yeah, I don't want to say agreed, but kind of you know gave his repentance a little bit. Um, you know, that's a that's a leadership lesson, yes, but it's also something that I think probably indicates that uh, it was not just a leadership lesson for the 2022 World Cup. It was a leadership lesson for trying to develop Gio Reyna as a player, mm-hmm. even if Greg Berhalter is not the U.S. men's national team coach going forward. And, um, you know, for all of Berhalter's faults, and and we've discussed them um, before, I do think that um, the the intent there was to was to help the player more than it was to impress a, a conference room full of corporate yeah. execs. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, sometimes that coaching can indirect coaching like that can be extremely abrasive. I, I don't love it. I don't love the the public shame. Yeah, and like, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to make Gio Reyna feel great right now, but no. I think in the long run, it could be the sort of thing that is helpful. And it could be that he's doing that because he has the personal relationship with, with Gio and with Gio's dad, Claudio, maybe yeah. he doesn't pull that tactic. If, he doesn't right. know the family so well. I, maybe he sees this as, as being somewhat personal in that regard. Um, yeah, I don't love it, but I think it's a, it's a subplot that we're not going to be talking about in four years when Reina is going to hopefully be a penciled-in starter on the wing. Got a lot of soccer to play between now and then. John Mueller's other question, um, when would be the expectation for any potential new signing? He says, I'm thinking mid to late January. Personally, I try really hard not to have unreasonable expectations as a fan, so I'm curious what y'all's thoughts are. Tim, it could be any time. You will see yeah. some of these trades even happen around the super draft time uh what are your thoughts as to when the hot window should be for folks to be tuning in yeah i think around the super draft is is probably the best time because nashville sc is going to have more picks than they will probably use to, to, to grab players that they're actually going to sign and play this year that they, they like to have that flexibility with picks to to you know grab and, and with picks to dish so that they can get players so that's something to keep in mind. And then obviously all the allocation money that you can kind of use as incentives or, or sweeteners or, or the main thing that you're trading in that um, sort of context as well. When the general managers are kind of thinking about their rosters because you get to the, the super draft and then it's, it's just that frame of mind that surrounds it. I think that's a really good bet. And in terms of um, you know, potential international signings or potential signings from guys outside the league, we, you know, we talked about it. It can be announced in late January, but um, I wouldn't expect Nashville to see the way, the way that we've seen them kind of go about their business. I would expect them to wait to make an announcement until they can make things official too. Yeah, these things will be will be timed very deliberately, and uh, so it's not always going to reflect the boots on the ground situation on the ground mm-hmm. as to when when these decisions are transpiring. Uh, one decision that will transpire soon for me again is going to be a return trip to ML Rose. I think the thing I'm craving the most is that Animal Burger again. I've strayed a little bit from the norm here recently, Tim. Got all <laughs> kinds of different things, and they've all been great. So I'm glad I've, I've diversified my ML Rose palette just a little bit. It all comes back to that Animal Burger for me, man. Yes, I mean, as 
especially in the early days before before we were so frequently uh hitting up ml rose uh for me it's it's always been the carolina sweets yeah. fries i love those so much that that uh you know lowland style uh, barbecue sauce along with those sweet potato fries love it i can have those another time i'm allowed to because i got them against whales knowing like Whatever I order here, again, I may not never be able to order ever again. <laughs> Walker would probably South. like you to not order it. Again. That's true. It was a Carolina sweet, <laughs> but it was a Georgia bitter for sure. Uh, with, <laughs> with Walker's uh, penalty. Look at the courtesy laugh there. You got that down to a science. It's muscle memory. The, the <laughs> slash courtesy chuckle. Um, ML Rose again, the the place to catch while while uh, MLS off season is going on catch NFL games, college football bowl games, watch the Michigan Wolverines beat Georgia in the playoff championship. I'm Ooh. all in on, on the blue, by the way, because I can't, Georgia can't have another. Let's Good for go. them for getting one. They can't have a second. This Tennessee guy wouldn't abide that. Even my mom is a Georgia grad. Love you, mom. But orange mm-hmm. is thicker than blood. Whatever. <laughs> now that I'm sufficiently starving, because we're recording around dinner time, uh, let's move outside in. And we'll take just a brief look at some of the top moves so far in the MLS offseason. There's been a lot of action, but I would, classified as kind of lower level activity in in most cases uh there's one big signing so far though portland bringing in a brazilian star for reported around 10 million dollars evander coming in to play for the timbers as you know the one question about them was the ability to finish up top and now they've got somebody who can possibly do that for them yeah and this is a guy who who comes from a familiar league to nashville sc fans um because his his michelin team played against uh, Hani Mukhtar's Brondby back way back in the day. It, it's crazy that Hani Mukhtar ever played for anybody before Nashville SC at this stage, right? It feels like he's just always <laughs> been around. But yep. um, yeah, Evander is a guy who, um, you know, people that we trust, people uh, like Matt Doyle, former guest of the show and obviously very good friend of the show, are super high on this signing. Obviously, the Timbers have had a lot of trouble, uh, whether that's trusting a guy like Jeremy Obobese to be that that finishing striker or or finding a striker from their international signings, this is the guy that they think is going to do it. And, um, you know, again, from the people that we trust, it seems like this is the surest bet they've ever had since it hasn't really worked out for them regularly. Uh, you know, since losing, uh, you know, that, that, uh, incredible core from, from four or five years ago, it's, it's something that, uh, I'll believe it when I see it to a certain extent, but it definitely does sound like, uh, you know, everybody's really excited to have him come in. Yeah, and maybe Denmark getting an extra look uh, from some teams after what Hani has has done. 50 goals, 38 assists in a little over four seasons in Denmark for Evander, who, again, not likely to be a uh, a conference uh, rival for Nashville, as Nashville likely to move to the East, but somebody that we'll look forward to watching this year. Another move kind of tied to a bit of big news that may have gone under the radar for some. Kevin Cabral traded from uh, LA Galaxy to Colorado for a million in GAM. That again a, a guy who was heralded to be a much bigger deal who had like one goal and three assists last year but the big story is la galaxy being hit uh similar to inter miami a couple of years ago with a roster violation with an international transfer ban in the secondary window with the the penalty of one million dollars in gam so this trade just basically makes up for that penalty and with a million dollars in um ram or real actual money uh as well uh again galaxy have always kind of wondered with the galaxy i mean there's a whole rule around the dps created obviously when beckham came came to la mm-hmm. just to accommodate that move they were playing with fire and and another team gets burned here and i'm wondering is this more common in major league soccer than we're than we're seeing from these punishments is this something teams are mostly doing and just trying to get away with 
It's definitely very common in, in Carson, California. I think yes. that's a, a not so <laughs> a not so uh, well kept secret around the league, but I think to some extent it, it happens around the league. But uh, it's it's less severe. It's like college football before name image, name image and likeness legislation started passing. It's like you know there were some guys getting paid under the table, but it really wasn't that you know game changing sort of situation. Especially when um, in your beloved Southeastern Conference, everybody was literally everybody was doing it. But, Not uh, Tennessee ever, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, in terms of what the, this trade means, I'm pretty interested in seeing how it works out for Colorado. This is a dude who mm-hmm. obviously did not work out for the galaxy at all. Colorado was not going to use all three designated player spots. I don't think they have in the last six or seven years. So it's, it's not quite a free signing for them. Although the galaxy is still going to pay part of his salary. It's, it's probably the off book part. So it's the cash part that, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that they will not have to pay, but it's, it's essentially a spot, a slot that they weren't going to get the most out of. And it's a better chance to do that. Uh, another move that is, of course, off the field that has the potential to be pretty. This is the biggest one of the three. Biggest one it, of the three by big, a wide margin. Big time, because it's going to create several more of these ripple effects for a long time. Garth Lagerway, the uh, I might get the titles wrong here, but he goes from a, basically a GM role in Seattle, where, of course, he's mm-hmm. won championships and, and led the most stable club in this league. To Atlanta United, where he's not just going to be that. In fact, he's not going to be a GM. He's going to be the president, the CEO, the the Darren Eels, if you will, before Darren mm-hmm. moved back over to Newcastle. This is massive. It's a promotion for Lagerway, and it's a huge step up for an Atlanta team that, Tim, seemed to just not really have a cohesive plan in a lot of cases with its acquisitions, bringing a lot of talented players, but the yeah. big picture wasn't fitting. And boy, this is a guy who's used to making the big picture work with a lot less money than he's going to have now. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see because like, like you just said, that I think that's the perfect encapsulation of it. Atlanta United's problem-solving strategy and roster building has been throw money at it. Uh, Garth Lagerwey's uh, strategy has been do the right thing, you know, find the guys that fit, find maybe unheralded guys, maybe turn over every single stone that other clubs aren't going to do. If you combine his ability to build a cohesive roster and Major League Soccer team, with the funds that are going to be at his disposal in Atlanta. Uh, I don't like it because it means Atlanta is probably <laughs> going to go back to being competent, yeah. which is which is less fun for, for Nashville SC, but it, it's good for the league, I think. And if you find the sort of success that I expect they have with a great soccer mind and with a great roster building mind and that sort of budget, it either encourages other teams to open the purse strings a bit more for the guys that they have in place, or it encourages teams to do a better job with the sort of things that Garth Lagerway is particularly good at with scouting networks, with um, kind of having a cohesive plan, like you mentioned. And it's going to be interesting to see how he moves into that, that larger role of not necessarily even using all the tools himself, but giving the tools to those under him who are making those personnel decisions. Uh, I think the biggest yeah. challenge we'll see, is... we'll see who are the people under him making those personnel decisions in the not so distant yes. future. Yes, indeed. Some, some decisions to be made for him now. And, and it's typical Arthur blank, right? Like things aren't going optimally. Give me the best at the, at the in the business, especially yeah. in MLS. The Falcons can't quite, uh, can't quite look at that same level of, of success or mentality. It's harder to do in the, in the NFL, harder to differentiate. Uh, that's it for, for the show. It, this has been, again, cathartic in a lot of ways as, as we've been grappling, as many of you have, with the tragic news of Grant Wall's passing. Uh, but again, um, you know, I think this is a wonderful, tight-knit, and growing soccer community that can still speak with so much joy about the sport. And uh, so 
uh, yeah, uh, check out some of his work. We get we already did contract recommendations earlier in the show, so yeah, hey, you mentioned now. you you just mentioned something that that brought it to mind. Okay, the Beckham experiment, which I actually haven't read, but his book, because you mentioned the des- the designated player yeah. rule as it related to uh, Kevin Cabral, uh, well regarded book. <laughs> Again, I haven't read it, but it's something that I plan to check out. Me too, actually. That's that's yeah. high on my list. I was actually waiting. The rule is in our house, we don't buy anything for ourselves in December. So just in case there's an Amazon just, gift just, card. Just have whoever LA Galaxy, uh, who runs a LA Galaxy making decisions for you. Say, Lisa, <laughs> it wasn't me. Just ch- find me in jam. <laughs> oh, great way to end the show. I want to ask you one more question for you. You you are, you know, writing MLS offseason news, clubcountryusa.com. In case you guys hadn't heard, it's a really good website. How do you digest off-season news in Major League Soccer? Where do you go? What are your primary sources that you like to use and some of the voices that you like to follow to tell the story, but also to give context to it? Yeah, uh, obviously, a lot of the the best writers covering the league are people who work for the league's website. And that's, uh, you know, kind of the reality of of a niche sport in this country, regardless of of how much. Um, you know, people have worked like a Grant Wall to raise the profile of soccer, how much the U.S. men's national team has, you know, every four years, knock on wood, an opportunity to to raise the profile of, this, of the game. But um, Tom Bogert, just absolutely indispensable when it comes mm-hmm. to transfer news around Major League Soccer. Um, and Matt Doyle, again, I guess both of these guys, uh, former guests of the show and, and both very good friends of the show, um, you know, one of the tactical minds that covers the game in more depth than anybody else. But for me, when I you know, I think people who follow the website know that I like to get into the weird nitty gritty statistical stuff. American soccer analysis is easily <laughs> the number one place to find the the stats that I love to find things that I can sit there and, and type into a spreadsheet and, and, you know, manipulate the numbers in my own proprietary ways and, and end up with stuff that makes me feel smart, even if I'm not. Um, so yeah, if, if you want, if you want the, the, the hot stove, the hot Tim winter stuff, Tom Bogert, if you want the tactical stuff, Matt Doyle, if you want the statistical stuff, American soccer analysis. And if you want the team level stuff, there's a thriving ecosystem, of course, of, of team websites, a lot of good SB Nation sites. We've interviewed so many of the writers, both SB Nation and other team, team-based team writers uh, on this show. Look back through our catalog, and don't have to listen to every show, but look at least, we always put the guest name in the title of the show. Look up those people and look at individual teams as well, and a, a great place to go. I echo all of yours, The Athletic, uh, Sam Stasekul and Paul Tenorio's yeah, oh, reporting of course. so well-sourced. And, and, they, and they give you so much of the context around and a lot of the breaking news as well. Uh, there you go. Many of you are regular listeners who will have heard our interviews with many of these folks, but for those who are just kind of getting into things a little bit, uh, maybe that's a good primer as to who you can, you can pay attention to. Of course, in addition to visiting clubcountryusa.com and visiting ML Rose to talk with your friends about the things that you are reading as you drink beer, watch sports, and have delicious Carolina sweets and animal burger. Anything else, Tim, for you? That is it for me. I do have one more like mini content recommendation. I mentioned the the FIFA post-match reports. Yeah. Uh, I would like to direct people as to where they can find those. It Please is do. FIFA Training Center, but center spelled in the ridiculous English way. So fifatrainingcenter.com and they have links to them. Uh, if you go into World Cup, they have links to them and it's incredible information. They only get it for um, you know, the top competitions that FIFA runs, but it's it's stuff that uh, I've spent a lot of time looking at the three, the three group stage games and a little bit at the Netherlands uh, post-match report as well. Could you hear my typing as you were talking? Just yes, I, I could see it because uh, pulling back the curtain for everyone listening a little bit, we record on Zoom, so I see your video. <laughs> Caught me, and also there goes my evening. 
fifatrainingcenter.com. <laughs> it's, it's over now. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you, listeners, for your great questions, for your great uh, listenership. We'll talk to you next week and get you ready for the MLS Super Draft. This has been Club and Country. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, 440 Sports Network. We'll see you very soon. <laughs>